Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmedLife.com. If you're a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure you can do this homeschool thing. If you're a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there's just too many things to do. Or if you're a homeschool mama that's not showing up in her homeschool the way she wants to show up in her homeschool, then this is the podcast for you. I'm dedicating this third season of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast to the newer homeschool mama or the homeschool curious because it's that time of year when people start to think maybe they want to homeschool. So if you're considering homeschooling this upcoming fall, or if you've been a homeschooler for the last few months or few years, then this podcast season is dedicated to you. I'm here to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. So welcome, homeschool mama. On today's episode, I'm going to share four principles behind facilitating a child-led approach in your homeschool. No matter your homeschool philosophy or your method of choice, no matter your approach, no matter our initial vision of what our homeschool might look like, we'll soon come to discover that the very most important building block to our homeschool is our children. So today's episode will focus on how to facilitate child-led learning in any homeschool. But first, I had a question from Angela Harders. Angela is a single mom, a special ed teacher, a peaceful parenting author, and passionate world schooler. And she's a podcaster over at Peaceful World Schoolers. She had a question for me, a big old question. She said to me, I would love to ask you, what have you learned through homeschooling? Oh, so this could be like an entire podcast season because what have I not learned through homeschooling? You could say I've learned double digit subtraction. I've learned all sorts of basic arithmetic. I've learned grammar concepts, myriads of science and history things that I definitely missed in school. I've learned all sorts of like tangible knowledge stuff. And I've learned about homeschool methods and philosophies and how kids learn and child development psychology. I've learned, I could keep going. I have learned so many things. I'm pretty sure that's a thing that happens when you become a parent and also definitely what happens when you become a homeschool parent. I have this theory that if homeschool parents do this homeschooling thing long enough, we probably will have a lower incidence of dementia because we keep our brains active. But what have I learned about homeschooling? On today's episode, I share four ways to think outside the box of a conventional education and move towards child-led learning in your homeschool. So I'm going to share a whole bunch of things that I've learned through homeschooling. Thanks for the question, Angela. So let's get started. How to facilitate child-led learning in your homeschool. There are things I want to impart to my kids. No question. But learning doesn't necessarily happen because I said something out loud or because I have the kids read through a passage, because I have the kids narrate a passage, do the math worksheet, complete the lab report, 
or watch the video. Although I have definitely done all those things in my homeschool years. There were some days I expected my kids to be like little computers that could receive a daily upload. I did this because it made me feel that their education was created and measured. If I could do the work to research a topic, buy the book, plan the lesson and teach it once, twice, then reinforce it, the kids should learn, right? Alas, with many kids in many years, I've learned that most learning does not happen that way. So how to facilitate child-led learning in your homeschool. In my early homeschool years, I often tried this classical teaching approach, doing the readings, lectures, reviewing, or expecting my child to return their readings with narrations, which is also known as a homeschool mom testing approach. And I was utterly surprised and often frustrated that they couldn't regurgitate what I'd taught. Surely, if I had done the work and been creative and interesting, they would be able to regurgitate what I had so eagerly wanted to share with them. Instead, I learned these things. If kids can discuss their readings, they are much more likely to process and keep them stashed in their brains. If they can narrate or tell me back something, I am much more likely to hear them regurgitate that fact later, but not always. If we discuss it more than once, more than twice, it's likely locked in, or at least temporarily locked in. Hmm, is that really locked in? But if they are interested in a subject, their little brains are fully frontal and present. There is no need to entice them to engage. Engagement comes naturally and easily and is so much more fun for me to encourage their learning and their experimentation. And obviously, this is so much more fun for them. Oh, the depths they can go if they are given time to pursue their interests. So, of course, I have learned to bend in that direction. I've learned that child-led learning in your homeschool works. It really works. Here are four things that I have learned in order to facilitate child-led learning in my homeschool. The first is that kids' interests can always be accommodated in our homeschools. Our oldest daughter had a longtime interest in British history. It may have originated with an Usborne book that introduced her to the subject area or a historical fiction novel. She was often found reading those quietly on her bed. When Kate and Will were married, we happened to be attending a homeschool conference. She was so interested in that wedding that we decided to forgo sleep that night in the hotel to watch the couple wed across the world. Just like I did when Charles and I married. My daughter's interest remained and she did a whole lot of British history research as part of her homeschool years. Our second daughter was interested in all things zoology before she was even homeschooled. She was interested in underwater animals, creatures flying through the air, or barking ones in the backyard. The week before she left for college, I took a series of photos with her and each of the animals on our homestead, our 20 chickens in Cluckingham Palace, our Violet, our four-year-old Great Pier, 
our two cats, Neptune and Meredith, and our three goats, Clover, Thistle, and Poppy. Her interest in animals was apparent when she was two. She studied them throughout her homeschool years, but at this point of the photo taking, it was pretty apparent that her interest mostly had evaporated. Except for her interest in the baby chick that hatched yesterday, the first baby chick born to King Henry the Rooster. But I digress. Congratulations, King Henry. And whatever Cluckingham Palace princess laid that egg. I digress. Either of those topics, my first daughter's interest in British history or my second daughter's interest in zoology or any topic at all, could become a full-fledged curriculum. If you think in traditional subject areas like reading, writing, spelling, math, science, and history, you can learn to incorporate their interests in all of them, which you likely do. Let's take writing, for example. You can take a page from any book that they like to read. Maybe it's an Osborne Encyclopedia for Kids and get them to write a section or a passage or a word, depending on their abilities to do that work. They could create their own dictionaries with definitions, animal encyclopedias, or hand-drawn illustrations. You can find a whole bunch more ideas on my post on my website, capturingthecharmlife.com. The post is called How to Teach a Child to Write Through Child-Led Learning. Now, what about spelling? The kids could choose a topic and look up definitions to a related vocabulary list and create a specialty dictionary. My kids have. These vocabulary lists could also become spelling list flashcards. Or you could play bananagrams, Scrabble. You could create words with magnetic letter tiles on the fridge. Play hangman on a whiteboard with erasable markers. Or play my childhood favorite, Boggle. We literally just did that this morning. Oh, and remember Wordle Online? So many online games. You can find a post on my website titled Get Rid of the Spelling Program and Teach the Kids to Spell Anyway to find more outside-the-box ideas to teach kids to spell. So I'm not suggesting that spelling programs can't be useful. Sometimes kids even want them. Now let's talk about reading. There are endless books on any topic. If I were to sell anything at all, I would sell you on Usborne books. But if somebody is listening that happens to also be selling Usborne books, I've got too much going on right now, so I'm not actually going to sell Usborne books. But if I were, I would definitely sell Usborne books. They are straightforward, engaging, and there are books for every topic. First and foremost, I would tell you to make a weekly date with the library if you want to get reading. Your librarians are your new best friends. They know a little bit about everything, and they know where to find resources for everything, too, and all for free. Well, until you forget to bring your books back, which you will, so then it's not free anymore. Naturally, a discussion on reading would mean that you would wonder how to teach your kids to read. Well, I share my tale of teaching my four homeschool kids to read on my website, but I've compiled a homeschool mama reading list for you to read too. You can find that at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. 
These books on this homeschool mama reading list are ones that have taught me everything that has helped me structure my homeschool. Okay, so let's talk about math. When once I thought you could politely request to let math solve its own problems, thank you very much, I've discovered you cannot get away from math. And I have most definitely tried. In my six months of radical unschooling, I learned math is everywhere. You can't not teach math. You need to understand math. Add, subtract, multiply, divide, estimate, understand decimals and percentages. Do you know why? Because consumerism requires it. Because you buy stuff. Why you can't not teach math? Do you need to decide how much produce you can afford? Then you need to understand weights and measurements. Do you want to build something in the backyard or paint a room? You need to know geometry, area, and perimeter. Otherwise, you waste a lot of money, you could get ripped off, or you take forever putting something together. Now, no matter how intense my math aversion was in the early years of my traditional homeschooling, and certainly in my traditional schooling, I discovered that math must be understood. My simple grasp of rudimentary math skills proved that one can function in our culture when one is math illiterate. You can even get a university degree and use math concepts in your paid work like I did, but still not understand them. While I don't recommend that, it is possible I am proof, but better learn the basics early. Arithmetic is everywhere. There's always counting. When the kids are little, they want to count 10 cars, or you could ask them to add the green dinosaurs to the brown dinosaurs. For the bigger kids, tell me what percentage of British kings were married to more than one wife. Or you could just go to my Cluckingham Palace and ask King Henry. Or what is the speed of a walrus, a dolphin, or a porpoise? What's the actual distance from one planet to the next? What is the area of the Roman Empire? How many quarter cups are found in a one cup? Fractions and measurements are easily learned in cooking. Build anything and you'll discover the Pythagorean theorem. I did when we were building the goat barn. Eat at a restaurant and learn percentages while tipping. Math is everywhere. You can get more ideas on how to think outside the math box by heading over to my website, capturingthecharmlife.com, and type in math to the search line. Okay, let's talk science. Science topics seem to be curiosities of many young children. Geology, like rocks, botany, plants, and astronomy, stars, so easily accessible. You can even incorporate science and history. My children listened repeatedly to a CD by Jim Weiss recounting the story of Galileo. These stories, written in narrative first person or for easy reading audiences, in historical fiction, will glue those stories to their brain like blackberry jam to my laminate countertop. By far the most interesting way to study science is actually to be a scientist. So get out in nature, draw the veins of a leaf, learn to name birds and recognize their bird song, 
just yesterday, I listened to a YouTube video learning the sounds of a mother hen and how she welcomes a baby chick that is not her own to her nest. But you can listen to all sorts of bird songs in your local area, too. You can head to a geology museum to learn about your local rocks or use science kits, which we've done many years. Anything from chemistry to astronomy, there's something for pretty much every aspect of science. You can raise painted butterflies and baby chicks, or dissect owl pellets and crayfish. Or as happened just a few weeks ago, when one of the kids took one of the eggs from a nesting box that a chicken had been nesting for three weeks, discover that eggs when sat on for 15 days, will usually produce an embryo, a chick embryo, not ideal for French toast. You could enroll in informal science programs when the kids are older. So let's talk history. It's easy to find history textbooks, but not every kid wants to study in that way. Some kids do, though. Many books are written from a historical perspective and provide a rich, easy-to-understand narrative about a time period. These books abound on homeschool read-aloud websites and are an enjoyable approach to read-aloud time for me, too. You could add a few activities to your history study. You could include a study of geography. Make sure you've always got the atlas available. You can study the other events occurring around the world at that time. Or record an event in a Book of Centuries journal, which you can find free on the internet. You can read diaries of children, fiction or nonfiction, at that historical moment. You can watch things on Discovery Channel, Curiosity Stream, or Brain Pop. You could create a lap book of all the things you've been learning about in that time period. Is there science and history too? How did the Spanish Armada get to England so fast? Who discovered the light bulb? When did women begin to vote? We homeschool mamas simply need to think outside the educational box to include our kids' interests in our homeschool, because our kids' interests can always be accommodated in our homeschool. I'm interrupting this episode to make a homeschool mom confession. I don't like the word homeschool. I really don't. And for many years, when I first began my blog, Capturing the Charm Life, I did not actually use the word homeschool. I used the words home education. Alas, most people know the concept of homeschool, and the way I can reach them is by using the word homeschool. But I think the concept of homeschool doesn't sit with me right, because our goal is not to school in the home. Most people learn along the way to create a home and that to build in a school in the home doesn't work. There's a reason we need to de-school, to get out of an educational mindset, to get out of the way of an education so we can enable a real education for the real child in our home. I prefer the word home education, but then what about the community education? They don't just learn at home, do they? The most important thing for me, though, isn't choosing the word to describe what we're doing as much as determining whether it is working for us and our homeschool kids. So is what you're doing in your homeschool working for you? Would you like to practically release yourself from a schooled mindset? 
that's interfering with your homeschool bliss. <laughs> okay, not bliss, but a more satisfied homeschool. One that's working for you in your homeschool kids that feels free and individualized and purposeful. What is the schooled mindset that so many homeschoolers want to de-school from anyway? This is the question that homeschool families have a hard time answering for themselves. We know that we're trying to leave a schooled mindset behind, but we don't always know what it is we're trying to leave. Like we assume kids need to learn certain things at certain times. We assume kids typically are at the same developmental level as a specific age group, so they can receive knowledge bits at similar times. We assume kids will be interested in things that we're interested in because, because we're interested in them. We're passionate about them. We assume we can organize learning and create systems of learning and that it'll work in our homes. And we assume that teachers need to be certified. There's five more reasons that homeschool families need to de-school their homes. So I invite you to the de-school your homeschool intensive, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to assess our present homeschool, our children, our beliefs on education. We're going to engage in exploratory questions and, dis and discussions to shift our perspectives. And we're going to plan to practically shift your homeschool towards your real children. So join me in that de-school your homeschool intensive. The second thing that I've learned about child-led learning and how to facilitate it in our homeschools is to honor and acknowledge that everyone learns differently. I'll tell you straight, two of my kids were very happy with um, a free-flowing approach to their interest-led education, and two would rather do workbooks for an hour and be done with it. And sometimes they switched it up and some of those kids like to do more formal things and some of them like to do more informal things and nothing seemed to sort of stay the same the entire way through, although there was similar approaches, generally similar approaches, but they all learn differently. And so be it, to each their own. That's part of the beauty of homeschooling is we can accommodate those things. We just have to determine to do it. Barbara Oakley, author of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying, a guide for kids and teens, tells us, neuroscientists have discovered that your brain works in two different ways. We'll call these two ways of working the focused mode and the diffuse modes. Both modes are important in helping you to learn. In really simple terms, or in other words, we don't only learn by focusing. Sometimes we integrate learning through random moments in our day, like in the shower, or going for a walk, or when we're doing the laundry, or we're sitting to build some Lego thing with our child. Learning happens in various ways. And sometimes we see our kids wanting to learn alongside their siblings, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they want to attend a class online or in a college or a high school, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they like to just read books by themselves. Sometimes they like to have a video instead. Sometimes they're learners by doing things, like my son who likes to put stuff together. Could be a KiwiCo subscription to helping with the goat barn, 
to downloading new software to a computer is really handy. One does not have to create alternative learning approaches for the sake of it. The goal is child-led learning. So you have to ask yourself, how does your child like to learn? The third thing I've learned about facilitating child-led learning is that your goal is to get to know your child. You don't know who they are straight up. You have a sense of who they are. And if you were like me and you kind of wanted to know what they were like, guessing at it as they were in the womb, counting the number of kicks to the number of times in the hour they were kicking and thinking this probably means they're super active and they're going to run around the playground a lot. Well, it's not always quite so simple or so predictable. You don't get a manual when your child is first born. You don't get to be told who they are who they're going to grow up to be, what their personality is like, their interests. You don't get to actually see all of that in completion in one nice, tidy little manual. But because you're at home with them and you get to spend a lot of time with them, you will get a whole lot of clarity if you're watching. And you don't have to dig really deep. Just observe. Who are you educating? Who are you raising up? You could spend time in a journal or a notebook right now and actually answer these questions for each of your kids. Who are you educating? Who are you raising up? Learn what drives them. In other words, figure out their Enneagram type. And I know there's controversy for me to say, figure out a child's Enneagram type because they're not necessarily going to be fixed when they're young. But an Enneagram type is something, a personality profile, that you can help to understand your children a little bit more. You understand what drives them, what matters to them, their core values, and also it helps you figure out your relationships in all sorts of realms. So learn what drives them. Learn their penchant for introversion or extroversion. Some of our kids actually don't want to hang out with people all day long. And some of them do. Learn their penchant to plan or not to plan their days. Some of us like to have a well-laid plan. And some of us like to feel our way through the day. Learn about the way they process relationships. Because even though this is not directly tied to book learning, it will definitely be tied to how they invest their time and their energy. Learn about their penchant for filling their days with activities or not. Get to know your specific child so that specific child is your focus. The fourth and final thing that I'm going to share about facilitating child-led learning in your homeschool is simply just to think outside the box. Think outside of textbooks and lectures and lesson plans. As I've shared in a previous podcast, we need to think about education beyond a conventional approach. Sometimes educational activities could also be entertainment activities, and entertainment activities could be educational activities. They might be one and the same. Here's what I mean. I'll ask you a few questions about a few different things that you may be familiar with. Are you familiar with Minecraft? And Lego? Okay, so are they games and toys? Or are they skill building activities? Strategic learning activities? 
Or are the following books entertainment or educational? My very favorite book of all time, To Kill a Mockingbird. Not my favorite book of all time, but a significant one, (laughs) War and Peace. How about one of my girl's favorite books of all time, Diary of a Wimpy Kid? Or how about The Kite Runner? Or Owl Magazine? Are they entertainment or educational? When you take a child past a pond and she tries to lift every leaf and every rock in search of living snails to discover where that snail chooses to live, is that entertainment or education? If your son sits in a classroom with a teacher that's giving a lecture on polynomials, is that education or entertainment? Or a trick question. (laughs) If he sits in front of an online learning class discussing Krebs cycle because he wants to learn about Krebs cycle, is that an educational activity or is it entertainment? What about watching a YouTube video on how to choose marine animals for his fish tank? Is that educational or is that entertainment? Is it educational if a child learns how to count coins when she's trying to sell you a plastic cupcake for 75 cents in her pink plastic kitchen? Is it educational to take a food safety course to prep for a job at a local bakery? No matter how you approach homeschooling, what philosophy you ascribe to, or what your approach prefers, I will always encourage you to lean into unschooling practices. It helps us. Those unschool practices help us let go of the control of how we think our child's education should be and just let them learn already. And in the wise words of John Holt, children do not need to be made to learn about the world or shown how. They want to, and they know how. If you would like to learn how to facilitate child-led learning in your homeschool, Join the D-School Your Homeschool Intensive, and I'll help you do just that. So in response to Angela Harder's question, what have you learned through homeschooling? A whole lot. Too much to share in a podcast episode. (laughs) I'm so glad you joined me today. If you have thoughts or questions about the episode, I'd love to hear from you. So head over to my website, capturingthecharmlife.com, and you'll find the title of this episode in the podcast section on the very right side of the page. I hope you can use some of these principles to facilitate child-led learning in your homeschool so you can have a whole lot more individualization, freedom, and simplicity in your homeschool. Hey, and if you're looking for authentic support and community with like-minded homeschool mamas who want to show up on purpose in their homeschools, you're welcome to join us at the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Patreon community. Not only will you get to join in monthly support chats, but you'll get discounts on the D-School Your Homeschool Intensive, group coaching opportunities, the Homeschool Mama Retreat, and also enjoy extended live interviews with previous podcast guests. I'm looking forward to getting to know you and your homeschool family. I'll see you there.